Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 54 of the Your Say podcast. Right. I recently did a in-person stand-up talk at Enlightenment in the Bedroom, which was run by Sam. We've had Sam from Wandering Love on the podcast before and it was my first standing event talking about myself I've certainly presented many times before and as part of the practice I created what I talked about as a podcast so this is an episode that takes you from the very beginning to the very current moment and it's all about standing in your power it's a chat about being your authentic self I'm sure you are going to enjoy it And for those that do, please share it around. Enjoy. Okay, guys, we're going to be talking about standing in your power. It's a chat about being your authentic self. I'm going to go a little bit backwards to go forwards to kind of give you the backstory as to how I went ahead and found my authentic self in the most dramatic of many, many ways that some can do it. But here we go. So from a childhood's perspective, I would say my childhood was pretty dysfunctional. My mum had me at a really young age. I think she fell pregnant when she was 16, had me when she was 17, so she was super young. And her mum had had her really young. So my grandma plays a very pivotal part in my upbringing and certainly in me then finding my authentic self. So my nan and I were very close in age and she became very much a mentor and hero in my life because my mum was so young. I lived my first two years with my grandma and I've since spoken to my mum as I've gotten older and she shares how hard that was for her. Like my nan would no doubt be taking over. I didn't really understand that until I became my mum myself many, many years later. So my childhood was pretty dysfunctional. Mum had a boyfriend when I was born um, whom I grew up thinking was my dad. We'll get to that story soon. And in amongst that, I moved schools a fair bit. There was a whole lot of trauma. Mum broke up with my dad when I was about eight, eight or nine, just after my brother had come along. So I have got a brother who is also queer, um, my gay brother, Peter, big love to him. He is, so yeah, he was about one or two. And then my mum and dad went ahead and separated and look life up until then, you know, the truth is my dad used to beat mum up and I don't have many great memories, certainly not with my mum. I've got some standout memories with my dad of that time. He went, took me to the snow once. It's always sort of stood out as a really nice memory. I don't have many nice memories of my childhood, but that one stands out. And then my mum went on to kind of live a pretty chaotic life, to be honest. She had a string of boyfriends, some stuck around, some didn't. I had a crazy uncle. He was in and out of jail and into drugs. And look, it was all pretty dramatic. And they were young and they were partying and we weren't the priority. My brother and I weren't the priority. And so I grew up feeling pretty unloved and kind of always searched for that love and that would kind of later show up in my teenage years. But one of the pivotal things that's worth noting in this childhood is I always craved my, always looked for my nan, for my sense of purpose, well-being, etc. So my nan became my go-to. So if things got too hectic at home, I would contact nan, I'd go and stay at nan's house for a, for a while. Nan had 
what I would call a traditional life. She had my pop. He wasn't my original pop, but they were together for many years. They've been married now for like 45 years. Cliffy is his name. And so I spent a lot of time living there, living there on and off, and Nan would always come to the rescue. So she was definitely my source of hope, I think, and stability. And look, in amongst this childhood of mine, at the age of about 11, I can remember this one night where I was over at my mum's friend's house. She'd gone out drinking, gone over drinking. And I, I remember being 11, right, which at the time felt really young. But for any of us in the room now that have got children, we know that 11's not that young. I was asleep under the table. The adults were all drinking. But was I asleep under the table? And the truth is I wasn't asleep under the table under the table. I was listening to all of the conversations that were going on, and I can remember hearing one of the parents say, Oh, so you're ever gonna tell Nikki that her dad's not her real dad? And I'm like laying under the table going, What the? What the fuck? Like, what does that mean? And they just went on to talk about it. And mum was saying, no, I don't think so. I don't think there's any point. She thinks Peter's her dad, blah, 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 blah. So I'm just laying, I can really remember this moment. I can remember laying under that table, just feeling completely numb and completely scared, incredibly alone and frightened. And I didn't really know what to do. And so the following days I stopped speaking. <laughs> You've already learned pretty quickly from me. I'm a talker. I was an extrovert as a child as well. So I was always talking. So for me to just shut up was massive. Everyone's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? So I went off to my nan's house as I do. Nan would fix it all. Nan would come to the rescue and, and fix Nikki because she was broken. And I remember my Nan and I were about to hop in the bath together. And my Nan said to me, I think I know what's wrong with you. And I'm like, oh, trying not to speak. P.S. This was fucking hard for me. And I remember my Nan looking and I go, oh, do you think it's that my dad's not my real dad? And my Nan said, ah, so it is that. And I go, so it is true. And at the age of 11, I somewhat tricked it out of her. And I can remember my nan just glaring at me and I just burst into tears, burst into tears and jumped into bed. I jumped into bed, jumped into the bath. And I remember sitting in the bath, it had bubbles around it and just crying and crying and crying. And I don't remember much after that, but I do know that my nan just kind of was like, it's okay, it's fine. Peter's been a good dad. You have got a dad, it doesn't matter. Um, and it was kind of brushed under the carpet and that was really it. There was no other explanation given. I was pushed back into normality and away we went with our, you know, with our lives. And that was fucked up, right? That was a really fucked up thing to hear and learn when you're only 11 years old. So look, I wouldn't say it. I don't remember, you know, after that life just became normal and I got on with it and we moved from one drama in our life to another. This crazy uncle of mine dealt drugs through our home, smashed mum's car, would graffiti our home. It was really dysfunctional. My mum my mum was raped in our home. Then there was a, a prowler that would try and get us. And look, there was just drama after drama after drama. And I never fit in. I never fit into this picture. I never 
belonged in this picture and I fortunately had really great friends. I had amazing friends in the back end of primary school and certainly into high school. And I would always stay at their homes. Most of my friends, in fact, all of them, even to this day, still have parents that are together, which for me never happened. So I clung to my friends in my early high school years. And if it weren't for them, I don't believe I'd be the person that I am today. And they became my kind of like they were the goal for me, right? I wanted to grow up and be like them. I was obsessed with TV as a young child because I didn't feel love and acceptance in my home. I would watch Family Ties. I would watch um, The Brady Bunch. I would watch anything on TV for me was that that's how I saw love. And so I romanticized about it. I romanticized about the fact that that's what I would have and that's what I would want. And so then we jump into our teen years, right? And I was keen as mustard to be loved because I hadn't felt it. I hadn't felt loved as a kid. I definitely felt love from my grandmother, but it was pretty much limited to that. I didn't feel loved or prioritized in any way by my mum. So fast forward into that teenage time for me and I had boyfriends from like 12 up. I lost my virginity at 13 to a guy and it was super young. His name was Jay. He was my first boyfriend. He was beautiful. And I loved having sex with boys. I got right into it. I became the sexologist <laughs> of the 80s at that time and taught all my friends how to get fingered, how to um, kiss a dick. <laughs> how to give head jobs, what it was going to be like. I think I was sexually active like 18 months before them. And I definitely saw sex and love as the two things going together. My mum had a string of boyfriends and there was no shortage of me knowing that she was having sex. So I was super aware, far too young in my eyes now, far too young, far too young. So I had all these boyfriends. I had a boyfriend from 13 to 15, a boyfriend from 15 to 18, and in that time I was in those two relationships, I knew I liked women. I can remember a couple of times where I would roll over and pretend, I would pretend that they were my boyfriend, but I would be trying to crack onto my best friend. I remember her pushing my arm away going, stop, stop, you're touching my boob. You think I'm Damien, you think I'm Damien, which was my then boyfriend's name. And I'm thinking, oh shit, okay, that didn't work. So the feelings towards women were very, very clear at a really young age for me, but I was just plagued with embarrassment, you know, and I wasn't going to be a, um, I wasn't going to not grow up like my grandma, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of what I wanted. So in this teen time, I loved having sex with boys. I definitely liked women, pushed it away. And I think I just wanted to conform. I wanted to have a life where I earned good money like my grandma, I saved, I couldn't wait to get away from my mum. I parented my mum from a really young age. I was the parent, I would make my own lunch, I would get her a cup of tea because she would have a hangover. And sadly, I didn't look after my brother very well. I have a lot of shame around that. I really wish that I had of. And I was a boisterous young girl I've asked these friends as I've grown older and they kind of remember me as the life of the party and someone being quite happy, but that's not how I remember it. I remember my teenage years, 
I felt very loved in all of the environments except in my own home life. And so I avoided it. I even had sleepovers at friends' houses during the week, which again, any mums out there would know that they were kind of forbidden. But for me, it was okay. I was allowed to do that. So as soon as I could work, I worked. I became a really, really great, had great work ethic from the age of 14. And I worked in different roles and became obsessed with money, wanting to have money. And I think I felt love and validation. So that inherently looking back now and understanding trauma and all these buzzwords that we that we grow to understand as we become an adult i look back now and i can see that work for me was an escape number one it was a new environment and i was good at leading i was definitely naturally a leader i naturally wanted to get shit done i was fun I was always happy away from my home and so I became a really successful leader. I think I was a cashier supervisor at like 16 telling 18, 19 year olds what roster they would work and what they would do. So work became incredibly important for me and why that's important is I then became mildly obsessed with that and I always wanted to do better. I studied art at university and did visual arts but the whole time I was still studying I was still, the whole time I was studying, I was still working, 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 working. It was all about getting the money, getting the money, getting the money. So for me, those teenage years were, I look back and I don't have many great memories. I wasn't a rat bag of a teenager. I did things like take the car out and would drink at parties and things, but you know, I didn't cause a massive amount of drama. I suppressed my sexuality and I wanted to tick the boxes. So I kind of, I, I like to say I was wearing masks and I learned at a really young age what masks I would wear and what result I would get. And so many, many years of conditioning starts where we suppress what we're really feeling, suppress, 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 suppress. <gasps> Not healthy, I might add. Really fucking unhealthy. So conforming, conforming, conforming sees me have a successful career. I move up the chain in Bunnings. I move my art to the side. I stop creating and I suppress all of that. I keep that very private. So my artistic expression becomes something that I don't do and I move into, into management and retail. I have a very successful career in Bunnings. I go overseas. I break my back. I do all these sorts of things. Whilst overseas, I'm still with men but looking at women. So I'm still on and off, on and off. A One of the guys that I ended up being with, which is my eldest son's dad, him and I were together kind of from like 20 to 24. We were on again, off again. It was never a love story. It was never a wholesome love story. And sadly, when I broke my back overseas in a snowboarding accident, I ended up back in Australia. I was supposed to be gone for six to 12 months and I got back and all my friends were traveling. So I was kind of like, fuck, what do I do now? I've got no friends. So <laughs> I made it my business to move to Queensland and got back with him. And I say this now, and, and I'm not someone that lives with regret, but there's a there's a certain amount of shame around it. I I was so powerful at believing my own bullshit from such a young age. And I can remember as a really young girl, I would mow the lawns at like eight or nine because our lawns were really high and I knew that our house looked shitty and I didn't want to look like I came out of that house. So I would be mowing the lawns. I'd be cutting the weeds. I'd be, you know, my house inside wasn't um, untidy, 
unless it was graffitied by my uncle. So it was kind of one extreme or the other. But I can remember that whole conforming and wanting to be like the TV for me was really, really obvious and really ingrained in me as a child, which we would later learn was quite traumatic. <laughs> so we move into my 20s. I'm wearing all these different masks. I come back. I end up chasing a man that I would marry, my son's dad, and I married him at 27, which then was a bit young. So I'm 47 now. So, wow, it's 20 years. <laughs> 20 years ago I married a man. And I married a man and I did all the things that I had set out to do. So let's go back to remembering my nan's my mentor. My nan's my mentor, tick, 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 tick. Nan had a company car, tick, I had to get a company car. I think I got that at, I don't know, 25. Nan had a house, tick, bought a house, you know, in my early 20s. Nan had a man that didn't hit her, didn't smoke or didn't drink. Great, I'd found one of those as well. Nan travelled, yep, great, I'd started travelling the world. And this whole society, again, the word patriarch, I wouldn't have even known what that meant back then, but here I was, tick, 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 ticking, and literally living life like I'm an actor in a movie, but it's my own life. So I can remember being married and wanting to buy porn um, of lesbian porn. Like I wanted to get porn. It was back when you ordered it on a DVD. <laughs> and I can remember wanting to get that with him and spice things up in the bedroom. And he was never a highly, never had a high sex drive. And I want to say that I had a really high sex drive from a young age and I didn't dislike having sex with men until I had sex with women that was. So I go I go along and do all those things. We've got the home. I've I was the breadwinner. I had a a, a good paying job and, and kept working. And then I really wanted a baby. On my bucket list of things to do in my life, I would be a mother. And he didn't want to have a baby. He didn't want to have a kid. But I just thought I would get what I want because that's what I always did. And so I can remember I was putting the pill down the um, down the plug hole. So he thought I was on the pill, but I wasn't. I think we hadn't had sex in 12 months. We had a very poor sex life. And we ended up having sex on New Year's Eve. I helped myself. He was very drunk. And that's the night I conceived my son, who's about to turn 18. And he made me get a paternity test because he didn't believe that I that we'd even had sex he couldn't remember it so that was all very dramatic there wasn't a lot of love in our relationship um I don't know why the fuck I did it I don't know how I was there um and oh we forgot about uh pre pre-marriage we forgot about that we have to go back to go forward so prior to me getting married on the actual wedding day the night before I had a hen's party for myself. And at that hen's party, I would patch two women. Actually, it was the night before the hen's party. I patched, I patched, a, I patched one woman and then my best friend. And then on my hen's party night, I think I was with three women. And that very first kiss with a woman was everything you would expect it to be. I had never kissed a woman. So I would have been 27. And she had been looking at me. We were in a gay bar. My brother's gay. Did I mention that? I mentioned that. And we, she came into the toilet and she kind of pushed me up against the wall, which is so fucking hot, right? And I can remember like leaning my head back and she just kissed me. And it was the most passionate, warm, soft. I can, I can feel it now. It was fucking hot. And 
as that's happening, all these things inside me, I'm hoping everyone can close their eyes now and think about that, that first kiss with a woman or a man or the opposite sex. And I can remember thinking, oh my God, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And it just didn't even compare to anything I'd ever experienced. And it was electrifying. I connected to her on a level I didn't even know was possible and I couldn't stop kissing her. So we kept kissing, kept kissing, kept kissing. And then we kissed and we fell out of the toilets. And as we fell out of the toilets, we kind of couldn't stop kissing. And then we came out of the toilet block. And while I was kissing her, my brother saw, and my brother came over and pulled us apart and was like, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And I can remember saying, don't worry, I'm getting, I'm just getting it out of my system. Now I won't, I don't have to think about it anymore. Now I've done it. Now I've done it. Now I've done it. And he was dramatic, always is dramatic. God love him. And he just, you know, didn't like that it wasn't about him and, and got quite frustrating. And look, let's be honest, I'm about to get married, right? And it's cheating. So it wasn't ideal. But this kiss was so good. And later that night, all we did was kiss. I do remember finding out she was a hairdresser. Um, I don't know if I even got her name, but if I did, I don't remember it. So then my other best friend who was with me had seen this happen and I told her. And later that night we walked home from being there. So this was the night before the hen's party. Everyone's flown up from Melbourne for me to marry the man. And... We get home and she's like, I'm so horny. I'm so fucking horny. Should we hop in the spa? And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's hop in the spa. So we hop in the spa and then she just starts pashing me. And so I'm getting it on with my friend. And then there's touching and it's all happening. And I remember it being hot. I remember, I remember going inside her for the first time thinking, wow, I can so remember this. And I remember thinking, wow, it, you feel the same as me inside. Like, you feel the same. Wow. So we get married the next night. The next day is the hen's party. We go to the hen's party. I kiss a few more girls. I tell my friends I've kissed two girls the night before. They look at me with what the fuck faces. And I can't be told, you know, so I just tell them that I'm getting it out of my system and it's gone now. So I marry the man and the honeymoons, I don't think we had sex on the honeymoon. Um, then of course we went, we went over, we went ahead and conceived and my son was born and I knew I didn't love this man. I loved my son. I knew I didn't love this man. I'd gone back to work quite quickly and I can remember traveling to Melbourne for work and thinking, catching up with a girlfriend for dinner. And there was a friend that I had known back from my teenage years and her name was Renee and she was gay and I'd never done anything with her, but I'd always obviously wanted to. And Renee was at this dinner and there was eye contact, there was chemistry. And I just remember thinking, I want her. And dinner finished and I remember saying to my best friend, I'm going to go and have another drink with Renee. And my best friend was like, what? No, you're playing with fire. You know, I've got a, a baby at home and I'm straight to this point. 
I'm like, okay, I'm playing with fire, but I'm going to play with it. So I play with fire and Renee and I go out to a nightclub and we keep drinking and we kiss and it's all happening. And I remember this moment, this is really interesting to share with the crowd because it's normal to not know what lesbians do to have sex, right? I remember being back at my friend's house and our, our friends lived together and I remember sitting on the couch and her saying, hop into bed, I want to make love to you. And I just remember thinking, well, what does that mean? You don't have a dick. Like I was so straight in my understanding of lesbians and I just didn't know what that meant. So I freaked out and I went and hop in, hopped into, into bed with my friend. And I just put that all down to another experience that would go away. I don't even really remember feeling guilty about it because I would make up a lie in my head like, oh, it's okay that I just cheated on my husband because it's a girl and that doesn't count, which you know, all this later comes back and bites me, I might add. So the first year of marriage is already pretty fucked up and I've got this beautiful little child and I continue to lust after women and this is becoming more and more intense. It's very clear I don't have a good sex life. It's very clear I'm masturbating over women. It's all about women, 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 women. And the first thing I really want to get across to everyone that's out there and we would all have done this in our lives, I'm sure, is you can convince yourself of anything. And some people live an entire life of convincing themselves of their own shit because they don't want or have the courage to come out as who they are, not necessarily come out in sexuality, but come out as authentically who they are. Do they want to dress up in clothes? Do they want to live in another country? Do they want to fucking not be in that religion, in that culture? So many lessons that you learn in the queer community are the same lessons in the straight community, but we talk about it. (laughs) You know, I think that we have an open dialogue because we've been forced to deal with our demons. So shit doesn't go away. This wasn't going away. I knew there was a problem. I had all the masks on in the world and was just pretending, getting up for work, going to work, ticking the boxes. And I remember thinking, well, I've done it all, Nan. Nan, I've done it all. House, tick, 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 tick. And I felt so unhappy. I was so unhappy. Like I think back now, I was obsessed with my weight, what I looked like. You know, I, w- I would count how many days it was since my then husband had kissed me or touched me or had sex with me. I felt so unloved. I didn't even know what self-love was. I don't even remember really looking in the mirror. So let's fast forward, right? Let's get to my points because there's points to this. I meet my first girlfriend at 31. So a couple of years later, my son's about two and a half, three. I am working, her and I, I meet her, I look at her and I know that I need to break up with my husband. I know that I'm gay and I, I literally lock eyes with her and I'm like, my life is about to change. And I separate from my husband and I start a relationship with a woman. And it's a long distance relationship. The separation was diabolical, as you can imagine. However, you know, he handled it quite well. Considering his ego liked that I was with woman that he, that, and that my son wasn't going to meet another, another man. Funny how the male ego works. And this relationship would fail after two and a half years, but my first lesbian relationship. And in the lesbian community, we have a, an unwritten rule, just so you all know, that whoever your first relationship is with, you don't really ever stay with them. And it's an unwritten rule that 
for any new couples out there that are in their first lesbian relationship. They don't want to hear this, right? But to this day, I've never met a couple that it was their first time. (laughs) So sadly, my first girlfriend wasn't going to be my forever one. And then I met my next partner who I then went on to be with for 10 years. And that relationship was Instagram perfect. We both earned lots of money, had great jobs. She went on, we went on to do IVF and she carried the baby. His name's Harvey. He's now six years old. And this relationship was good. You know, we traveled the world, things were happy. I think that I went back to mask wearing. I jumped straight back into, she doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't hit me. We both earn good money and now I can go back to creating that somewhat perfect life that I'd seen on the TV. So the mask wearing was definitely occurring again. Nothing had changed except I went to bed with a woman. But within myself, I was still wearing masks. Insert the fall into my authentic self. I like to describe my fall into my authentic self And I bet you all might have thought that it was about coming out, but it actually wasn't. It was part of it. But I think I've been trying to find my authentic self from the day that I was born, as many of you might be. And, you know, this is my message that I want to share. And this is the power that you all hold within yourselves that I want to share with you tonight in this intimate space. So in 2020, my then partner of nine years, I think we're in our ninth year, whom I thought was my soulmate, right? We definitely um, had our challenges and things, but we had a baby together and it looked good. I was definitely dissatisfied sexually, but I, I loved her. I loved her almost so much that I'm sure it was smothering. So in 2020, she would have an affair and... I won't say it came out of nowhere because it didn't. After our son was born, her mental health declined and, you know, she always drank and I knew that she drank but I didn't necessarily notice that it was problematic, which was really interesting. And eventually this affair would go on for all of 2020, on and off, on and off. I did everything, therapy, couples counselling, courses, you know, with a company over in America, saving my family. I wanted to save my family. I isolated myself. I didn't tell anyone. It was the hardest year of my life to date at that point. So I thought. So 2020 was diabolical. And finally in the December, we call it, we're not going to continue. She had continued to have an affair that whole year whilst I thought she had stopped. Uh, so she, I discovered her having an affair on four separate occasions. My mental health would suffer. I would later learn that I had PTSD and, you know, it was a fucking nightmare. It's a fucking nightmare. 2021, we separate our lives. I'm in fight or flight, trauma, survival mode. We separate our lives. I was definitely getting professional help, but I date, I date women before I've, you know, before I'm ready. I've never slept with any more than the two women I'd been with. So apps didn't exist. I drank too much. I snorted cocaine and I really just tried to do whatever I could to survive. I was still working. I was still a mum and I still looked like on the outside that I was keeping it together. 
but I absolutely wasn't. And in October, 2021, as you guys know, I've shared this story, my mental health story, it got really dark. So you can go back and and listen to that um, episode. I won't go into that now. Let's get into 2022. 2022, I decide that I've got to get my shit together and I get myself a coach. I quit my corporate career. I decide that I'm going to do everything I can to find myself. I I legitimately couldn't do that whilst having a corporate role, being a mom and doing all of the things. So the coach that I started working with, her name is Bobby. I share a lot about Bobby on the podcast and her name is Built by Bobby on Instagram for those that want to follow her. And she's not just a, a coach. She's a fucking everything. She spends six months with me and all it is is about me and rebuilding. And I learned in this moment of my life that I hadn't stopped, I hadn't felt, I hadn't grieved the relationship Um my then part, my ex partners then gone on to get engaged, buy a house with the affair partner who was fifteen years my younger, and so their life's just like you know fucking. It's like the movies watching. So I spend this entire year working on myself and working for myself. And what should come back? My art. I start painting. I've had your art, my art business for seven years. I've been selling artworks for, but I'm now in it full time and I'm loving it. I'm getting all, everything's coming out, pouring out of me on the canvas. And it's, there's some fucking great artworks that came out of that. And I'm, you know, doing the work and it's a full-time job. On top of running a business, doing the work on myself was a full-time job and In that year, I add coaching to my business. So we're talking about last year now. And I have a good year, but it's predominantly about myself. I don't, I I do travel. I took the kids overseas. And in that year, I'm learning to stop. I'm learning to love myself. I'm learning to look at myself in the mirror. I'm learning what I like, what I don't like. And I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy being alone. So that's what happened for me in 2022. And by the end of the year, I can honestly say I love myself. I fall in love with myself. I then get thrown all of the triggers that we do. My ex then falls pregnant with the new partner, which is triggering. Um, They choose the same donor. Thanks for the heads up. Find out on a text message. All those things, right? I share all this because this is real life and I want everyone in here to know that everyone has their stuff, right? So that's that year. Let's talk about this year because this is where the fun shit happened and here's what I've learned. So 2023, I I decided this year that my word was going to be embody. I was going to say yes to more things and I was going to try and find my, my tribe, try and find my people. Where did I belong? I didn't feel like I belonged and I've done that. I've done that this year. I've been saying yes. I've been meeting people. I've got lots of little groups on Instagram and I'm going to different events and I'm learning about polyamory. I go and have my first threesome. I'm dating. I'm not dating. I start my podcast. I'm sharing. I'm painting. I'm coaching others. And I'm all of these things. 
And it's probably only been for me in the last eight weeks, I think, where I've really, really realized that I actually don't fit into one box (laughs) and that my fall into being my authentic self looks like this. I'm part hippie, hipster, boss bitch, nomad. I'm a, sometimes I'm, I'm a posh person. I love Botox. I want a property on the beach. I love expensive things, but I also want to live off the land. I'm in the process of being diagnosed with ADHD. I am happy to camp with my partner in a, God, what are those things called? Not a tent, the other thing. Uh, can't think of the name of it. Um, in, a, in, a, in a tent, but I also want to stay, stay in six-star six star accommodation. And you know what dropped for me when I took myself away just recently, about six weeks ago, eight weeks ago? It's okay. It's okay. I get to choose to live in all of those spaces. I don't have to be in a box. And I'm here to tell all of you tonight that you do not need to sit in a box. You don't have to conform to anything or anyone. It doesn't matter if you are by curious, straight, it doesn't matter how you identify, you get to fucking choose to be who you want, when you want. And I used to say this a lot, I'm such a contradiction, I'm such a contradiction. And I'm not saying that anymore because I'm not a contradiction. I just like lots of fucking different things. And society has taught me that I have to be one or the other. And I'm here to blow up that meaning because I want to be all of those things. I want to be the boss bitch. I want to live three months off the land in WA and do nothing but paint. I want to be super social for two days, but then recluse for a week. I want to grow my underarm hair, but have Botox in my forehead. I want to fucking do all of it. I want to do all of it. I want to try a polyamorous relationship, but then maybe not. I want to be a third wheel. I want to do everything that that doesn't involve being with a penis. <laughs> So this is your permission slip, everyone, is that your authentic self can change. It can be whatever you want, but take the fucking masks off and feel into it. So the first step, the very, very, very first step, and if you follow these steps, you will find yourself. And if you've already found yourself phenomenal, you'll just keep doing it because that's the evolution of life, right? But the very first step is stopping and feeling. And if you ignore these feelings, they will probably come up for you. They might not come up to you for you until you're on your deathbed or you get hurt or you lose your job. Most people fall into this, oh, wow, I learned that lesson at that really difficult time in my life. So I want to, I'm, I'm making it my fucking purpose in life via my podcast, my coaching and all of the forums that I'm on to educate everyone to fucking be their authentic self. And people pay me to help them stop because I had to pay someone a lot of money just to make her make me stop. It all starts with stopping, getting off what I call the treadmill of life. So stopping and feeling, don't wait for it to be a drama. Don't wait for it to be a breakup you know, take yourself away for 24 hours and just sit in nature and turn everything off and just tap into yourself and find out how the fuck you're feeling. Are you happy? 
Are you satisfied sexually? Do you want to try being with a woman? You only get one go at this and the only time that you have is now and the only person you can control is you. Like you are the only person that you can control in this moment. That's it. That's the choice. Number two, when you get there, accept it. Accept it and fucking celebrate it. If you're gay, fucking own it. Fucking stand loud and proud and celebrate the fact that you now like pussies. Lick pussies, that one's for you, Kiki. Um, Yeah, like be fucking proud and, you know, accept where you are, accept the situation that you're in. So, so, so often we push up against it and I I really struggled to accept how, how, how much shame I felt that I had two broken relationships with two, with two children to two different people and my, my ex-partner of 10 years ended up having a drinking problem, which was exactly what I had spent my entire childhood trying to avoid. And I didn't even notice that I'd built that life around me. You know, like it's just, it's fucking insane the way this all works. It's fascinating and insane all at the same time. So my number one, stop and feel, number two, accept. Accept and celebrate where you are. And the acceptance and the celebration comes once you've done the work. So for me, I've accepted that this is me now, right? And there's just so much power in that. Number three, love yourself. We've been hurt. We've been hearing this our whole lives. You can't love someone else until you love yourself. If you can't build trust within yourself and do the shit you say you're going to do and you can't look at yourself in the mirror and if you don't love yourself wholeheartedly, you can never, I believe, my belief, you will never be in a unconditional loving relationship. I just don't think it's possible. And I'm still on this journey. I'm not a fucking cured person. I'll never be cured. You never get there. This is the journey. But I have trust. I trust myself. I know myself. I love my own company. I love touching myself. I've still got a lot of work to do in my sensuality. I love sex. I know that when I fall in love with a new person, I want it to be everything. I don't believe I've peaked yet. I believe there's so much more for me to explore. And I know that in my new relationship that I will build and find, I don't know what it's going to look like. I want me to have that open forum with that person and I want it to be exactly everything I've really ever dreamed of. That's what I want it to be like. So they're my three steps. Number one, stop and feel. Number two, accept and celebrate. Number three, love yourself and build trust within. And what the fuck does all this give you, right? Like you can be happy doing what you're doing now and you can die happy, but as someone that's lived 45 years in what society would have seen as better in that I was in relationships, had all the homes, the cars, all the expensive things, saw the psychologist, tick, 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 beautiful children, private school, da, 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 da. I assure you I've just earned the least amount of money that I've ever earned in my life the last 12 months and I've been living in a rental. And I have had the best year of my life. (laughs) 
I haven't traveled overseas in the last 12 months. I have been living in a suburb I don't like and I've never felt better. And the feeling when you find yourself and when you truly love yourself and when you can turn your phone off for two days and just not even think about who might have texted you and you can look in the mirror and be like, fuck yeah, we've got today and you can masturbate during the day and you can, honest to God, not give a fuck what other people think, this feeling, it's like being on a drug. Like sometimes I articulate how I feel and sometimes I look at some of my older networks and even some of my existing friends and I think you have no idea how I feel inside. Like I feel so fucking good and I don't believe that a lot of people get to feel this and this is why I'm making it my purpose to educate and try and get you to all feel that way. The work is hard, it's ongoing, but you get to have a life that feels so, so easy. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of anything right now. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of my children hurting themselves, taking drugs. I'm just, I'm not afraid of getting cancer. I'm not afraid of anything because I just know that I'll deal with it because I know that I trust myself to pick it up and go with it. And the thing I had to accept very recently was that I can be all those things and still want my nice home and still get out of the suburb that I'm not happy in. And I struggled with that because again, it's like, well, you can't have this with this. I th- if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to grow your underarm hair, then why do you still get Botox? That's contradictory. You know, these are the conversations I have with my old friends. It's so interesting. This is what my life looks like now. It's, um, I'm present. I'm present in every moment. I remember all the days and all the moments. I don't really remember much of the 20 years before that, but I remember a lot about the last 12 months. I go slower in most things. I still go fast sometimes. (laughs) I am authentic and I am direct sometimes and sometimes my delivery is not perfect, but I know that the people around me know that I am saying it because I always lead with love. I am filled with love. I have so much love for other people. I'm so much less judgmental because I became suicidal and who would have ever thought, you know, how could that happen? I have really great boundaries with both my family and my friends. I genuinely don't give a fuck about what other people think. I still have a lot of work to do around my body image and I still have a lot of work to do around love and letting that in and and working out what that looks like and pleasuring myself. I I have some work to do in that space, but I got to say, I can honestly say to you that I live in my authentic power and anyone out there listening to this talk tonight you need to know that you can too and it starts with stopping feeling checking in going inward two accepting that's it accept the situation and celebrate like celebrate the fact that you got there celebrating is so important and love yourself and start to build that trust if you can do those three things for me that took you know 18 months, two years, and now it's ongoing. The whole loving yourself thing, like that's just that's just the rest of my life. 
But if you can do those three things and in amongst that, there's so much more, right? But find what works for you. Choose someone. You're not alone. My podcast is a wealth of information for everyone, right? Everyone that listens to the podcast can flick back to any of the 60 episodes and look at all the different ways that you can get support and help. Um, But, yeah, I have loved sharing my story and I really hope that this has resonated with you. And I really hope that you either are standing in your power or you work towards standing in your power because the only way is to be your authentic self. Otherwise, there's just no other way. Like I just be who you are.